I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2. For us to understand the context of where we are, in the first chapter of the book, in the first seven verses, um, in that introduction, we have the preamble and the... uh, the writer, Solomon, he lays out um, the, the purpose of the book, and he, he gives you all the vocabulary you're going to need. It's like we're entering a country with a different language, words like wisdom, instruction, insight, um, uh, righteousness, justice, equity, the simple, the wise, uh, proverbs, uh, the fear of the Lord, fools. Uh, these are all terms, these are uh, uh, the, the, the words that are going to be the grammar that we have to learn. This is the basic vocabulary of the book of Proverbs. And, of course, the key to the book of Proverbs, and if you read a single proverb and you t- take it, you can know the context or the key to understanding that Proverbs always is Proverbs 1-7. So if you pull out a proverb... You need to, in your mind, run it through the grid or, or let the key of Proverbs 1-7 open it. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And then in that next part of uh, verses 8 through 19, we now see that we move from the fear of the Lord to instruction to children. Remember, this book is, is designated for the young, for youth, particularly what, what we would consider adolescence. And so it's the father and the mother that are doing the teaching. And the father lays out a scenario where evil men try to entice the son. And he is giving him instruction on how to withstand that and even gives him a warning saying, if you succumb to that covetous nature, that desire for unjust gain, always wanting to have something for nothing, being consumed by by trying to have more and possess more, it's going to take away your life. And then into the Father's instruction, there comes an interlude. We'll have one more of these that will occur later in the first nine chapters. But wisdom just sort of breaks in while the Father's teaching. The Lady Wisdom just stands up and she starts crying out in the street, the marketplace, on the, on the wall, wherever she can, in the courtroom, at the, at the gate. She's yelling out and basically last Sunday it was just an invitation to come to the Word of God, to trust the Word of God. That, that, that's where we're going to find wisdom and, and it was just a, a very evangelistic appeal from Lady Wisdom. And then... We then turn to chapter 2 where we are today and we are, Lady Wisdom has quieted and we go back to the teaching of the Father that began in chapter 1 verse 8. We return to that, the Father is again speaking. Now the first nine chapters of Proverbs, you notice we haven't had any of those short little pithy sayings. The Proverbs, the collection the, the, the main collection of the 375 begin in chapter 10. That's where you, you get the, the, the bulk of the short, pithy sayings. But 
what these first nine chapters are intended to do is it's like tilling the soil. It's preparing the heart because you could have all the Proverbs in the world and if they fall on hard soil, they will not take root and they will not bear fruit in your life. And so apparently God the whole, and the Holy Spirit speaking through Solomon and these other authors, they know that the hardest ground, the most important thing to really being able to receive wisdom is having the soil of your heart and your mind tilled so that when the Proverbs start to fall like manna, you are spiritually open and ready to receive them. So we pick up here in chapter 2, and um, we're going to read this chapter. Notice something about it. Two things just to say in introduction before we read. It's 22 verses. When you see that in your English Bible, it should give, it should, in the Old Testament, it should give you a, um, a light should come on in your mind that that's a very important number. It's the number of letters in the Hebrew alphabet. There are 22 letters. And so uh, from Aleph uh, to Wah, all the way from A to W, I guess you could say, for, you have uh, the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And this is not an acrostic, but embedded throughout this 22-verse poem you are going to find the first letter of the 22 letters of the alphabet. So it's not just truth. It's truth presented in a very beautiful and structured and harmonious way, which would have meant it would have been for the original hearer, for the child, it would have been absolutely prepared to be memorized because they could just go through the letters of the alphabet and those would serve as triggers in their mind. Okay, this is how you say it. They would have had this speech memorized. I, without knowing it, because it's not written in the Bible, I can, I can be absolutely confident that Jesus had this memorized. In fact, I don't just think he had Proverbs 2 memorized. I'm pretty sure he had the entire Old Testament memorized. And he didn't just come down from heaven and say, well, of course I've got it memorized. I wrote it right? He had to learn it as a child. He learned it and it was in his heart. You see this, and I'll tell you what my clue to it is. Do you know what book in the New Testament has more, it sounds more like Proverbs than any other book in the New Testament? Anybody want to take a guess? We've had our two memory verses from it. James. He's all about wisdom. Well, which house did James grow up in? The same house with Jesus, right? So they were growing up, and so Mary was going, all right, you got Proverbs 2 yet? You know, and um, Jesus being his, uh, James's older brother. Can you imagine going up with Jesus as your older brother? That would have been a bit challenging, but, but here he was, right? And they had to memorize the scripture. I mean, and, and so it was in their heart. The other thing that's shocking, you know, remember at Ephesians chapter 1, you'll go sometimes like, 12, 13 verses, and it's a single sentence in Greek, right? And you go, the Apostle Paul has got the longest sentences of anybody. Well, let me tell you, Proverbs 2 has got him beat. This is a single Hebrew sentence. One sentence in the original language, it is an alphabetic 
poem meant to be memorized by the young because it is preparing the soil of their heart and their mind for the battle of life. So, with that in mind, would you stand with me for the reading of Proverbs chapter 2, God's holy word. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. Delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the way of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil. Men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death, and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of the good, and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it, but the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for this word. We now ask, as it says in chapter 1, that you would pour out your spirit, and that your spirit would give us understanding. Lord, we long to receive these words, to accept these words, to have a heart that that desires to have them planted into the very deepest part of who we are, and that, Lord, it would bear fruit throughout our life. Lord, for the honor and glory of your great name. And we make this prayer in the name of Jesus, and together God's people said, Amen. As we begin this these 22 verses, it's important for us to to orient ourselves to an outline. That'll help us give, have a way to hang our, our thoughts, uh, uh, put some pegs that we can, we can put the, the things that we learn on. 
So, but before doing that, I just want to, I want to highlight a few words that I think should give us the, sort of the, uh, the heart of the Father as he's speaking. And the heart of the Father is he's not just giving his child some instructions that, you know what, uh, let me tell you how to get a car loan, right? You know, the father's just giving, and this is what you do, and this is the kind of lender you go to, and these are the kind of people you avoid. It's not just like what's, on, on, what's at stake here is, are you going to get a car you want and get it at a good price? Is your child going to learn how to navigate life? It's not just words that are at that level, the things we do need to pass on to our children, but it's much more profound than that. Notice the words that you see there in verse 7, after the semicolon, it says, He, speaking of God, is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. This idea of a shield and of a sentry, of a guard, and of an air watch over you, it is meant to bring to our mind that the preparation for our children is not just how to navigate this wonderful world in which we live. It is preparing our children for a battle. It is preparing our children for a battle. Because what is at stake in life, what is at stake in this existence, is nothing less than life or death. It is an absolute pitched battle. And, and here the father is wanting to say, you're, you're in spiritual warfare. He's essentially giving an Old Testament version of put on the whole armor of God. Our, our children think their biggest battles are, are they going to be able to pass a particular class and make a good grade and get a job. They don't understand because we are not teaching them that there is a bigger battle, that they're not wrestling against flesh and blood. They're not wrestling against teachers. They're not jostling against others for that place, that position. That really, that they are in a fight for their own soul. And if parents do not stand up, and if teachers do not stand up and let them know, this is a fight. And the, the, the results will either be life for you, or death. Oh, but not so the, the father in Proverbs 2. The father in Proverbs 2, he wants them to know it's a battle. It's a battle. It's an intense battle. But if you listen and receive the word of God, he'll be your shield. He's going to be the one who's guarding you. He's going to be the one behind your integrity. He's going to be the one that's going to be watching over you. He's your air guard. He will be wherever you go, you can know that the Lord your God goes before you and he will protect you. So, this whole chapter is a preparation for life's battles. It's preparing our children to face this life that is really, it is a cosmic struggle for their soul. I think probably the worst show that was ever on television was Seinfeld. I'll tell you why I think it's the worst show. It's because it wasn't bad and it wasn't good. It just said the whole point of life is to just have a few laughs and just kind of numbly 
slide through. That's what America has bought. We, we don't see anymore that we are in an epic struggle for the souls of men and women. We, we, we don't feel that, 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 uh, that old hymn. In fact, I've written it in the front of my Bible. Do you remember what it says? If I can pull it up here. What does it say? Uh, Brethren, see poor sinners round you slumbering on the brink of woe. Death is coming. Hell is moving. Can you bear to let them go? See our fathers and our mothers and our children sinking down. Brethren, pray. And holy manna will be showered all around. It really is. We are on the the brink of... We are on the brink of eternal woe. We need to tell our children that that's what life is. It is this kind of of epic struggle. But God has provided a path. God has provided a way. Will they listen? That's That's the big picture. That's the intensity with which we need to read this. But if you were going to try to, to divide the, 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 the poem to be able to, to get a, a framework from which you can understand it, you can divide the 22 verses exactly in half. The first 11 verses are going to form the first half, and then at verse 12, you're going to pivot. And this is essentially what happens overall in the first 11 verses. You're, you're preparing your children for a battle, but in the first 11 verses, the way you're doing that is by calling them and by exhorting them to develop their character. So, so namely, verses 1 to 11 are about the development of godly character. Verse 12 through 22 are about the defense of godly character. Those those assaults that are going to come against them, namely the, the, the man, the men with crooked speech and the, the, the wicked woman that will come to tempt. And so in one, we're developing the character, godly character. We're calling our children to, to grow in godly character. And in the second half, we are presenting to them the defense of godly character. And so we now look at uh, these two sections together. So let's begin by looking at the development of godly character. Verse 1, my son, if you receive my words. Notice again, we've gone back to the my son that we saw in chapter 1, verse 8. It says there, hear my son and receive your father's instruction. Again, putting the word my in front of it is not just to show the possessiveness of the father, but the tenderness of the father. Father is not trying to attack the child. He's trying to prepare the child. When you stand out on the road in front of, a, uh, in front of an ambush or in front of a, a washed out bridge and you're yelling to people, it's not because you're, you're trying to upset them. It's because, and you're not because you're against them. It's because you're for them. And here this father so tenderly is saying, my son, my son. But he's going to put it in a condition. this, This is if. He's not assuming it's going to happen. Notice over and over again. If, then verse 3. Yes, if, verse 4. If, so there's a lot of ifs. What this means is, is we cannot look at the development of godly character. Even in the person who has become a Christian. You know, pray to prayer to accept Christ. Maybe they truly are regenerate. 
You do not develop godly character just by somehow drifting lazily into it. The development of godly character is based upon choices that you, your children, each of us, all of us must make. So in other words, there are choices. There are choices that are put in front of you right now. Children, right in front of you, right now, there is a choice being put. And what is he saying here? My son, if you receive my words. Notice the difference. In 1.8, he says, hear my words. Now, there are a lot of things you can hear, but you don't accept. So he says, it's not just enough to know it. I mean, how many kids, oh my goodness, uh, not as, as many, but there are kids that grow up, they know the Bible, They've heard every sermon. They can quote scripture verses. They've heard it all. But they've never received it. They've never accepted it. And so he says, this is what you have to do. You, you don't only have to say, I've heard it. I went to church. I mean, this is not like a prison sentence. I did my time. It is something you've got to be here and say, I want this. I receive it. I accept it. This, is, this word here for receive means you, you put faith in it. You, you trust it. This is, this is right. This is God's word. And so notice you've got to receive, and he puts my words. And, and as you'll see through this as it goes, and it's talking about the Lord, it's not just the fathers coming up with this is what it's like to be a member of our family. The father is speaking what he heard from the prophets and from the writers of Scripture and what they heard from God. So it's not making up your own plan for parenting. I mean, let me just tell you this. If you're a parent, let me, let me just be really plain and clear. Uh, there are a lot of good Christian books to help you out there, but there is no Christian book better than the Bible to help you with learning how to be a parent. I mean, honestly, I could say, you really, maybe other people can help you understand what the Bible is saying, but if you will wrestle with the Bible, you will find that God is putting everything in here. And you know why it's not like a, an end of the line kind of topic? Think about what God is at his essence. He is father and son. I mean, this is the very heart of God. Now, he had a perfect son, but he knows what the identity of parenting is like. And you can learn it from him. So we're calling out with tenderness to the child. You've got to actually accept this. You've got to receive it. But it's not just to receive it. Then it says, treasure up. Treasure up. The idea of treasure up, in some translations, it says store up. To store up. So what this means, you think about it, What does it mean? You've, he's said the words. You heard them. You received them. You accepted them. What does store up mean? This is the challenge of memorizing them. This is what he meant, is you actually store it up. Thy word have I hid in my heart. Store up. It was, uh, we, we need to challenge ourselves and our kids to, to know the word of God so that when we're faced with a situation, we don't have to say, I think I need to go look that up. We know what the, what the, the word of God says, what the principles, what the truths are, so that it can be called immediately to our mind. But it is no... It is no storing up like you might store up quarters in a piggy bank. You know, you put your quarter in the piggy bank. That's treasuring it up. 
But that's not all that is intended by this word. It's not just putting it in the piggy bank for a later withdrawal. The idea of treasure means that you store it up with affection. You store it up with affection. I know some of you, you know this is so personal. We've, we've seen some in our midst that have gone to be with the Lord over the last 10 years. Do you know what is amazing though? Even as the light of life has been, been being dimmed in them, do you know what? Almost to the person, you know what they could remember to the end? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Verses that were stored up in many cases decades before. And you know what? It wasn't just like, oh, that's the only thing I've got in my mind. What you see is just the affection. The affection of those words. You love them. You know, Jesus says, my, my words are life. <laughs> These words are life. This is life-giving words. We realize how many of the words in the world are actually dealing death. This is spiritual nutrition. Jesus said it. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It is, it is the most delicious and wonderful and wholesome loaf of bread you have ever, ever eaten. Treasure it up. And notice this is, this is where you actually get the idea. This is not just personal opinions. I remember um, Jennifer and I knew this man that he would walk around with his little child and he would have them, they would go through the mall and he would have them point out people of a different race. And then in, in a different language, he would teach them to say bad, bad, right? He was, he was teaching them. He was teaching. I mean, you, you know, the, the, the opinions and the biases and the, the, the prejudices we have, we learned them, a lot of them. We may have added a few of our own, but we, we, we learned them. Well, in the same way, what we're, we're trying to do is make sure that what you're teaching your children are not your opinions. It's not somehow third-hand Dr. Spock. But it needs to be first-hand Word of God. And that's commandments. So he can have an authority. When I preach, it's not about my personality, right? It's not about my position. Oh, he's the pastor, therefore we have to listen to him. Phooey, right? Who cares who I am? The authority I have is real if I am speaking to you and submitted to the word of God. Then I speak in the authority that is his. And as a parent, if you are in line with the word of God, you're speaking the commandments of God. You're not just giving your children life suggestions. This is how our family does it. But you're commanding them. So they've got to receive, they've got to treasure up. Notice what it says, treasure up my commandments with you. What is that? Why do I not just treasure up my commandments? What does the with you mean? The with you is to reiterate the fact that it is to be memorized. They didn't have scrolls that they were walking around. In fact, most of their learning was orally passed on. And, and so he's saying it needs to be with you. Right? Put it, it's not just on you like a cell phone Bible. Right? It needs to be with you. It's a part of you. So you teach them young. You teach them to know the Word of God. You teach them where things are in the Word of God. You have them to memorize 
many portions of the word of God. So you're treasuring it. Verse 2, making your ear attentive to wisdom. So there is a choice. So every one of us in this room right now, we can say, I don't want to listen. Or I choose to listen. Notice, you make your ear attentive. Have you noticed in, um, at, uh, that you can be in a room and you can actually, there are a lot of people talking, you can kind of focus your attention to hear one conversation? What do you do? You made your ear attentive to that person. So make your ear attentive to wisdom. You want to hear when wisdom is being spoken. And inclining your heart to understanding. This means that you are you're pressing the angle of your heart that even if your heart might want to have trivialities like Seinfeld and like, like games on the computer where you play solitaire until you go into eternity, if your heart is inclined to that, if your heart is inclined to say, I don't want to read my Bible, I'd rather watch Jeopardy on TV. Really? I mean, do you think Jesus is going to ask you trivia when you walk through the door? Oh, boing, you come on in. He's not asking any trivia. He wants to know, do you know my word? Do you know my word? This is, you've had life. Come on. I mean, we've been at this a long time. How many of us in this room are still babies on the bottle? Right? We, we push ourselves in every area. But we don't push ourselves when it comes to the Word of God. You should not just be babies. You should be teachers. And what is it? It's because you've got to make your ear attentive. You make that choice. See, this is the power of choice. And inclining your heart. My heart is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm interested in that football game, that basketball game, right? It's not that those are wrong, but if that's the constant inclination of your heart, then you're going to just be filling your heart with that stuff. And it says, your heart needs to be inclined to the Word of God, to hear the Word of God. Oh, God, I, I want to hear. I want to hear. Inclining your heart, saying, I want to understand. I want to understand how your Word works in the world. Verse 3. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding. I mean, is this a desire? Am I the only person in the room? Let me tell you, the reason I'm passionate about this is I'm preaching to myself. I look back at my life, I see how much lack of wisdom, how much foolishness I've thought and my attitudes. I don't want that anymore, right? I want to grow up in wisdom. It's time for me and it's time for you. So what do you do? Do you just sit there and say, I'm going to think this thing out? Do you notice what the humility is? Yes, if you if you call out for insight, if you raise your voice for understanding, what does that sound like? Go back to 120. Wisdom cries aloud in the market, in the street. In the market, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. So if wisdom, Lady Wisdom is calling and she's saying, you need to listen to me. You need, to, you need to follow me. You need to heed me. What this is, is above the din of all the voices that are telling, me, you're telling you, follow me, do this, do that. You are calling back and you're saying, I need you. All these people, they're not listening, but I need you. I need wisdom. And so, to really, to take that out of the metaphor and to put it into the reality of the Christian life, this is saying, pray. 
You're calling out. You're calling out and say, I don't understand. I don't, I don't have a clear picture of what I'm to do or what's wrong. You know, this is one of the most amazing things to me about Christians. Even Christians that know the Bible is they don't know themselves. They have no insight into where they are spiritually. You should be, and it's not going to be a happy subject. It's going to be more like studying criminal psychology. You need to be an expert on you. You need to be an expert on you. What, 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 what weaknesses you have, what you're struggling with. And people just have no idea. They have no idea that they have a fuse that's a, a millimeter long. And they blow up on everybody and they go, I never get mad. I'm like, you're just not looking at yourself. So as a Christian, we're to call out and say, God, I need this. See, it's preparing your heart. If you say, in other words, it's not just saying, feel real bad because you, you know, you're really a fool. It's saying if you realize you're not where you need to be, you're the, you're the youth, you're the simple, then you need to call out and say, God, help me. I want to grow up. I want to become a godly woman. I want to become a godly man. I do not want to be a spiritual baby in my sixth and seventh and eighth and ninth decade. I want to grow up. I don't want to just be taking. I want to be a teacher in my own home with those you place in my life. If any of you lacks wisdom, if any of you lacks that godly character, the first place to begin as you hear this word is to call out and say, oh God, grow me up. Grow me up. Conform me to the image of Christ. Then it says in verse 4, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures. Now one of the things that many in the world have looked at this, and I, I, what they look at this and say is, is somehow... Wisdom is hidden out there in the world, in the fabric of the world, and you're kind of, you're very insightful, you see it, you go, oh, that's wisdom, you grab a little bit over here from, you know, from Eastern mysticism, you grab a little bit over here from this uh, uh, self-help psychology, and you're just kind of on the buffet line looking for anything that makes sense and seems like it works, right? That's what you're seeking and searching, but, but, but what, what you need to do is you look at this in the context of the whole scripture. It's when you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures. It's not like it is out there. It is like you seeking it out. Here's the silver. Here's the treasure. This is what, when it says the fear of the Lord in the next verse, the fear of the Lord ultimately means God has spoken. Will you listen? Will you believe that he both promises life and he threatens death? That's what the fear of God is. You actually take him seriously. So it's not that you're seeking out there, where, oh, I'm just looking, I'm going to try to find some wisdom out there. It's here. What searching and seeking mean is you search it out. You seek it out. You look at this like it's silver. You look at this like it's gold and you say, I mean, how many of you know when, I mean, think about it. Let's just use an illustration. Maybe on a Sunday morning, we're going through a passage. We're going through Proverbs 2. And we start and you go, okay, I heard it. But what do you notice as together we're seeking and searching? It's been 35 minutes. 
Do you have more knowledge than you had 35 minutes ago? Why? We're seeking it out. We're searching it out. You don't just read it and just move on. You've actually got to dig into it. Break it open. The bread of life, you know what it is? You've got to eat it. You've got to chew on it. It's got to be, it's got to be swallowed and absorbed. It's got to become a part of who you are. That's what we, I mean, this is the, the, the like speed devotions that we live in, right? I have my devotions five minutes gone. You're going to get speed spirituality, shallow. In other words, I'm not saying you need have or, or could even have all day, but you take a verse, you take a passage, and you say, I'm going to hold this and I'm going to treasure it all day long. I, I, I'm going I'm to dig into it. I'm going to seek it. I'm going to pray and say, God, give me some understanding. And you will be amazed how almost every single day those verses will break open through the circumstances that the God who is, is in charge of all things will bring into your life and you'll see your life in light of the truths in those verses. Well, if that's the if and that's giving us the things we're to do, then what will happen? Verse 5, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Here's the key, right? You're you're listening. You're here today. You're listening. You read the Bible. You're listening. You're you're receiving it. But you know that to really get it, you got to pray. You humble yourself. You pray. You're trying to dig it out. You're seeking through it. You're sifting through it. Like, like a person out there sifting and mining for, for silver, panning for silver. You're trying to find this thing. You're trying to, to get to what it means. And he says, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. Understand is the idea of, of you'll experience it. It's not just something that's going to be a thought. It's going to be, a, it's going to be something you're going to begin to feel. And when it says then, and find the knowledge of God... Part of what happened in Western life is that we, we divided, uh, in, in, res, in following on Aristotle, we divided what we know from the one knowing it. So you could, as a scientist, you could know all about butterflies, and there was this great division. But this is not the idea of the Hebrew mind. The idea of the knowledge of God is much more experiential and relational. Meaning, in the same way, if you were a young person, you said, I can't swim. Teach me how to swim. Right? I said, okay, fine. Um, come over, and we're going to show you videos on swimming. Right? Or even more, let's, let's go to the pool, and we can, you can watch somebody swim. Right? You've watched videos. Maybe they've even given you a book, a big book on swimming. Right? You go to Reeves and you watch people swim. Could you actually say you know how to swim? You know what the quickest way to break through the reality that you don't know how to swim is? Is throw you in the water. And you realize that all of a sudden knowledge, that kind of knowledge has a benefit. You've got to have some knowledge. But the way to actually learn how to swim is to be all in. Right? You actually have to take the risk and you, you've got to learn. And, and yes, it, it's helpful to have people alongside to, 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 to pick you up and to, to encourage you. But ultimately, you've just got to make a commitment. 
So, youngest child in this room, Ian, I'm talking, you're not the youngest child, but I'm talking to you since you're the youngest church member. You know how you're going to get the fear of the Lord? You're going to get the fear of the Lord, and you say, God, I want to, I want to know you, I want to know you, and you take that commitment of faith. You know what? We saw you do that. Just a few steps right in that room. You're on a journey. You're going to know God. You've got you've to take that. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he what? Same thing. He rewards those who seek him. You're seeking out the word of God like a treasure, like silver. And then he says, guess what? I will give you that experiential knowledge. You know what it's like to live, to know the God who is the everlasting arms underneath your life. Notice then you have the protection that comes. He stores up, verse 7, he stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield of those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. So, first of all, you have what you're called to do. You're to, to receive the word, to treasure the word, uh, to call out for insight. You gain that fundamental reality, which is the fear of the Lord, the Yirat Yahweh, you find that which is a knowing of God in a, in a personal, experiential, relational way based on objective words and truth through which God has revealed himself. And then he says that he's going he's gonna to give you that wisdom. Back in verse 6, he gives you the wisdom. So any wisdom you have, it's a gift. And it comes from his mouth. That's his words. These words are from his mouth, knowledge and understanding. And then what are these things going to be? You're going to go out. You've got a shield, you've got a guard, and you have one watching over you. Now notice this, then in verse 9, he says, Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path, for wisdom comes into your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you, understanding will guard you. This is a separate section. What you had in verses 5 through 8 are about God, right? That's the, that's the foundation, the root. You're going to have the knowledge of God. But then notice what is built on top of that is how you live out in the world, right? You, you, you know God, and therefore you're prepared to live out in the world. You'll understand righteousness. Righteousness in Proverbs is not so much a personal righteousness as how you deal with people in a way that you're not just seeking your advantage, but you're seeking their advantage. Justice is when you see someone is being oppressed, you see someone is being treated wrongly, someone is being pushed down, that you're willing, because you know God, you're willing to step in there and you are going to help the one who's being oppressed and you are going to stand against the oppressor. That's what justice is. And then equity just means that you're, you're going to be treating people fairly. Now, notice all of these things, righteousness, justice, equity, every good path. So what do you notice? If you, if you start with the fear of the Lord, then what is built on top of that then becomes how we live out in the world, right? Notice even that word again in verse 9. Then you will understand righteousness and justice. You've got to start with what you know about God. The knowledge of God is the foundation. And then our ethics, our morality flow from that. They're produced. It's almost like you imagine you've got this massive tree, right? And 
uh, um, that tree is there, and that tree, when the sun is at the right angle, casts a shadow. It's like the ethics are the shadow that come from the tree. So let me just make an observation, and I think, I think maybe you'll, you'll understand that this has been the experience of some of you who are a little older in this room. What in the world has happened in the United States of America? Well, what happened, I believe, fundamentally, you go back 50, 60, 70 years, there was a common holding of, of biblical values. Everybody, even if you weren't a Christian, you kind of all held on. Uh, biblical values about uh, um, money, how you don't, you know, things you don't steal, about marriage, relationships. I mean, you remember there was a day that if your child was misbehaving, not only would you spank it, if you couldn't get to it fast enough, somebody else would spank it, and you would tell them, thank you? Those days are long gone. You'd be in jail today, right? What happened? Well, the common values, those are the ethics. And for years, we were living on the, the shadow of those ethics. What we didn't realize is, is that in the heart and mind of most people, the tree had been chopped down. And a generation comes along and says, well, why do I have to live that way? I mean, why do I have to be sexually moral? Why could sexuality only be expressed in marriage? Well, why do I have to do that? Why do I actually have to work hard? Why can't I just get rich off of, of winning the lottery or trying to game somebody else? Why, why can't I do that? Why does integrity even matter? It's just, it's just made up stuff. And, and you see that in the United States that literally in the 1960s, it's like the, all of the earth is quaking. Why? It's because for years we've been living on a shadow. And this is the point. I don't think I can't, and I don't know that us as individuals, we can help much in the society. But let me just tell you, as Christians, this is the key. If the root and foundation of what we are is what we do, we are but a shadow people. We must realize that all ethics, all living of a just and of a righteous and of an equitable life must be built on the foundation of the fear of the Lord, the knowledge of God. If God in the foundation, there's going to come another generation and say, well, that's just your opinion. That's just your opinion. We have a different opinion. That's your version of truth. This is my version of truth. Because they do not understand the foundation. So for us, as we're going into a culture that's going to have very different ethics and moralities and ways of doing and living, we have to realize that the, the, it's not just getting out there at the edge, at the leaves, and say, you know what, well, this is what a Christian does. And this is what, it's not just what we do. It's based on our foundation, which is God. We need to get back to churches that are willing to speak about God, to call people to God, not just facts about God, but a knowing of God through His Word and is submitting to Him in holy fear that will then drive us out in compelling love. So, but notice, and this, this is exactly, if any of you trace the history of liberalism in Christianity, this is exactly what it did. You go back to a man named Friedrich Schleiermacher, and what he did when he wrote his systematic theology, you know what? He didn't put the knowledge of God, knowing God, or the Bible at first. He put ethics first. Every liberal person, theologically, they put ethics first. It's what we do. It's how we treat people. Well, you know what? If what you do and how you treat people is based upon you, then it can be different. If it's based on God, then like a house built on a solid foundation, it will rise up and it will overflow. So, he then is, is telling them, 
that they're going to have this ethics. Ethics do come. We are a profoundly ethical people, but it's got to be built on the foundation of knowing God. Just one word about this verse 10, for wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. I just love that word pleasant. You know what the word pleasant is? Naomi. It's wherever you see the word pleasant, it's Naomi. Right? It'll be pleasant to your soul. Um, over in chapter 9, the, uh, the, the worldly woman takes it and she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is Naomi, is pleasant. The world, everybody is trying to tell you, is trying to get you by this is really going to be, this is what's going to satisfy you. This is pleasing to you. And God is saying, it's not just you're going to do this and it's going to be like, I'm the most dour, unhappy person, but yes, I'm, I'm, I'm a believer. I believe in God. Ugh. It's not that. It is pleasant. The world says that stolen uh, water and, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant, right? Stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is, is pleasant. But God is saying his word is pleasant, Notice at the end, two things that were delivered from, verse 12, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech, who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. There are going to be a lot of people. They're going to be out there. Teachers, these are obviously teachers. People teach you how to be wicked. Think about it in your mind. Who are some of the people who taught you some of the bad paths you've taken, somebody said, hey, have you ever thought of this? Have you ever seen this? you ever noticed this? If you do this, you can get away with that. Wicked. The Bible is saying here, now your character's developed, and when these people come and their speech doesn't line up with the pleasant, good speech of Scripture, you can hear a phony a mile away. You can hear a lie. You can hear the hiss of the serpent coming through their lips. But if you're a simple child who's not taking the word of God in, you're gullible. You can be roped in. We move to the end, verse 16. So you'll be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. So again, you notice you've got back in chapter 1, these men, these wicked men, what are they pulling them toward? Easy money, right? Come along, we actually can just kill people for the fun of it, and we can take what was in their house, and we can fill our house with it. That's the goal of life, right? And these, these little simpletons are following along. The father says, don't do that. And here now, the other is easy sex. He's going to come back between these easy money, easy sex, and here he's coming back to easy sex, and it says, there's a, there's a woman who's actually married. She's made a covenant before God. This is God's covenant. This isn't just some little commitment between she and this person. He said, she said before God, I do till death do us part, right? Whatever their exact words were, that's what she said. And now she's coming to you and says, well, how about we have a, a, a liaison? Let, let me just tell you, one of the things that's trying to say here is, why in the world would you think if a person who has made a commitment to someone else and can't keep that, why in the world don't you think they'll stab you in the back down the road? You see, it's fundamentally, the character is that you can make commitments and with God's help and with lots of prayer, you stick with it to the finish line. Not because it's just as some kind of easy happiness, not just because you're trying to figure out a quick gratification, but because you realize that your aim in life is to please God. 
So you're, you're not doing it for your happiness. You're doing it for his happiness, which ultimately is your eternal happiness. Well, what does he say? Well, what happens to this woman? Her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. Basically, he's saying, look, if you follow down this, you know, it's so amazing how many young people in high school or college, they're, they're immoral, right? They're, they're, they get involved in pornography or they get involved in illicit relationships. And you know what? They're 50, 60, 70, and they can't stop. They start down a path, and all of a sudden that path has got them. And their feast, feet are making haste. And, and, and once you open that door, and they just are always trying to find the next relationship, the next person to satisfy and gratify, and it's saying, you know what you're doing? You're only running, and her house going down that path is going to lead you to death. And when it says her paths are departed, means is you're going to be a corpse. You're going to be a corpse. All of this is just saying, and do you understand what the, the writer to Proverbs under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is saying is every single choice in life is a choice of such eternal significance. Even if you're 5 or 15 or 25 or 55 or 95, every choice is of eternal significance and your choices now cannot be undone then. Verse 19, none who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. That's it. When you breathe your last, there's no do-overs. No mulligans. It's done. The book is sealed. There is no mercy and grace. When you bow your knee and you with your tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, you're not doing that under your salvation, but you are doing that as a recognition that he really is who he says he is, but it is your last words before damnation. Everybody is going to declare it. Even the fools from this life, their eyes will see it. Their hearts will be open and they will realize in that moment, though, there is no going back. Life is of such eternal significance. The choice is this moment. Will I listen? Will I heed? Will I be faithful to the commitments of God? And he ends in 20 to 22. So you'll walk in the way of the good. That's the prayer we have for ourselves, for every child. And keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land. And those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land. The treacherous will be rooted out of it. Jesus says this, right? The meek inherit the earth. Do you understand that this life is, this life is not a test run? It's not. It's a real, it's the real season. Your record is, is being written down. The games are real. You win them, you lose them. The choices you make, life or death. It's a real season. But when this season is over and you have, with humbleness, received the grace of God and you have tried to live the purposes of God and have your character developed and to defend against all of these ungodly temptations, when that happens, this is the real season. But it is the real season that is going to lead to a season that will go beyond and beyond when we will dwell in new heavens and new earth where righteousness dwells. 
So when you say, well, I didn't, everything didn't happen to me in life. I, I didn't get married or I didn't have a happy marriage or I, I had kids or didn't have kids, didn't have enough kids. I didn't have this opportunity. I didn't make all the money. I didn't do all these things. And you just fill your life with regret, regret, regret. What it's saying is, is if you really walk in the ways of the Lord, you will live forever and not just go on forever, but you will have an abundant life in a place of incredible love and beauty and truth that will be beyond your wildest imagining and not one wicked person will be in that realm. They will be cut off. The best is yet to come. And if we live that way and believe that way, we can resist those temptations, saying, I don't have to have everything because I know what that leads to. That leads to death. I will trust the Lord now and I will believe that the fullness of his goodness and of his love will be shown in the land of the living. Would you pray with me? Father, we... We look at life so lazily, every choice, just so numb. We are not only dull of hearing, we are callous in living. We're not guarding our heart above all else, not believing it's the wellspring of life. We're not desirous, oh God, everything that's put in front of me, would you develop my character, grow me up into Christ-likeness. I've received it in faith. I trust this is your word. I fear you and I love you. And Lord, I know it's just coming. Everybody in this room will be tempted by sinners who are going to say, hey, go down this path. Go down that way. Temptations of the flesh. The desire for possessions. Ambitions. And ultimately, when it's over, we will look back at our lives and say, it was wasted. It was wasted, but God, we do not want to do that. We want to prepare ourselves and our children and our grandchildren for the battle that lies ahead. And we thank you that greater are you that is in us than he that is in the world. This battle can and will be won if we cry out in humble faith, you will reward those who earnestly seek you. This is our desire. We make it in Jesus' name. And together, God's people said, Amen.